Zish Bites, discussing Milwaukee's culinary and restaurant culture. With Anne Christensen of Milwaukee Magazine and Tariq Moody of 88.9. This Bites is brought to you by Society Insurance. Welcome to This Bites, Milwaukee's culinary podcast with the effervescent food critic. Oh gosh, Anne Christensen. I've never been called effervescent. I don't even know what that means. Isn't that, I think that's what... People say soda is like it's sparkly. Your ve- it's light. Effervescent it's, Coke. It's, it's your Coca Cola. Light and so sparkly and bubbly, right? right. You're bubbly. Uh, that I've never been called either. But thank you. I discovered. Uh, I did some research. You were a varsity cheerleader in high school. <laughs> I got some no. pictures to prove it. Sure. I'm a sham on the internet. Okay. Yep. Put them all over there. <laughs> Just plaster them. Uh, and, and I'm I'm Tariq. I was never a cheerleader. I was in drama club and uh, secretary of Latin, Latin club. Really? Yeah, I am. I people think I'm just being like I'm a I'm a geek out of Trinsake. No, I'm 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 hardcore geek before geeks you were never, geeks. I mean, you do a lot of puns, but you never work any Latin into this fights. Oh, here's a here's a great Latin joke. Uh, was it ubi sub ubi? Sure. Simper, always. Oh, I don't know Latin. I didn't. Ubi. Know Latin. Is the preposition where okay. sub is under ubi where? Oh, it's a Latin joke. It's hilarious. Yeah. I, I think if I knew Latin, it would be funnier to me. Yeah. So yeah, I am. A, I was vice president of chess club, so I wasn't cool like you, cheerleader Anne. Uh, on this week's edition of <laughs> this bite, it's all about our favorite cookbooks of 2018. We're gonna go through some of our favorites, uh, but I'm gonna let Anne. As you know, ladies first, um, kick it off. Yes. I love cookbooks. I love reading them. I love reading about them. And uh, my first pick is a book called Solo, a modern cookbook for a party of one by sounds Chef. Sad. That title it is sounds not, sad. though. No, I'm not saying that it's, it's not, but the title, how you said it, came off. Yeah. <sighs> but go ahead. It's by Chef Anita Lowe, who uh, in just this year, I believe, closed her New York restaurant of 17 years called Anissa. Yeah. And she's a really well-known chef, very well-respected. I'd always wanted to go to Anissa when I was, I never made it there, but it was a restaurant that was always sort of on my bucket list. Uh, she's known um, as a chef who is... Um, she has a, has a certain style. Her, her definitely this chef driven uh, restaurant with a lot of like, you know, certain Anita style flourishes. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea, you know, for if you were just looking at this as, oh gosh, Anita Lowe is coming out with this cookbook, this is going to be really difficult because I'm not a chef and it's going to use a lot of ingredients I don't have. That's not the case. Um, this is a different sort of book in that um, I think she wanted to make it more approachable. In a certain way, I think that it's it's a better book for people that have cooking experience as opposed to someone who doesn't and is just jumping right on in. Um, it's it's uh, she focuses on really being able to put things together quickly. So there, apparently, there's a lot of 30 minute dishes that you can do in 30 minutes. Right away. 15 minutes. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I, I can almost see that the, sh- the the person who would have this cookbook would be in a kitchen that is like. I don't know, um, like 25 square feet in mean, the tiniest of kitchens. You don't have a lot of equipment and you're doing the best you can do with what you have. So she can teach you how to do a sous vide without having the full on sous vide, 
you know, processed. You can she can you can pour without water the, over without something. Without having that temperature and, and exactly have it, and keep it consistent temperature. Correct. Wow. Um, she she um, she can actually. I think she has like a, a gnocchi dish. That okay. This this maybe is a little too much for me. Because she, she, I think she does it in the microwave. I hate microwave ovens. I know that we need them for certain things, but they're I really brilliant. There's don't some really like cool them. creative things that I've seen chefs do in microwaves that just have turned me back on to microwaves. Well, I'm not turned on to them at all. And it's radiation, which is so 2020 futuristic. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> that being said, um, I I've I've always just been a fan of Anita. I like that she's doing something really different um, for her for her own. I mean, from what you think of her doing with Anissa, and uh, I also just, just like the idea that she's approaching it in the way of we're all really busy people, but we want to do we don't want to just do some just quick like throw together type of dish that you mm-hmm. can get in any other book or online recipe. You want to add a little something special to it, but you you don't have the time to spend hours and hours on it. Okay. So there. Cool. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and to Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out our donor benefits and the thank you gifts you can get to show off your 88.9 pride. Now we're back and I'm going to kick it off with a book which I sort of I swear I bought either on Kindle or did I lend it out? I can't remember. I was like looking for it. But anyway, it's a really cool cookbook. Uh, remember last year we talked about uh, Michael Twitty's cooking gene, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, he explored the his, the food of the African diaspora in kind of a, a, a kind of a narrative form. Well, this book is kind of the cookbook form of that, if you can imagine that. So it's called Between Harlem and Heaven: Afro Asian American Cooking for Big Nights, Week Nights, and Every Day. I swear I bought that book. Someone has it. But anyway, it's uh, written by these restaurateurs out in New York, J.J. Johnson and Alexander Smalls, two African-Americans. Uh, and they basically explore kind of the African-American, African diaspora in food and in recipe form. So they went all, like, African cuisine has touched all aspects of culture throughout the world, whether it's Asian, Latin America. Uh, and then they, they took the, that what they learned, their travels, and developed some really interesting recipes like grilled watermelon salad with lime mango dressing and chrome cornbread croutons, um, creamy macaroni cheese casserole with rosemary and caramelized shallots. There's cocktails in there. Uh, there's also essays on the history of Mitten's Jazz Club, which is the melting pot that is Harlem, kind of this legendary spot in Harlem. Um, it's just an interesting book that uh, really takes a different look at uh, African-American, African cuisine uh, beyond the, the general stereotypes, what most people think, and really look at the influence of African culture uh, throughout the world and even African-American cuisine throughout the world. Um, it's a great book, visually appeal- appealing. Um, really, uh, it's a compliment. I think it's a very good compliment. If you haven't checked out Michael Twitty's Cooking Gene uh it's a great pairing if you're into that kind of stuff as a gift. So like Michael Twitty cookie gene and then between Harlem and heaven, Afro Asian American cooking for big nights, weeknights and every day. It's uh, one of my selections. What do you have next, Anne? You know that I'm a huge fan of baking. I love baking and I especially love cookies. Um, and uh, there's, there's so many, there's actually a bunch of cookie books and baking books that I want to mention, <clears throat> but I'm going to mention this one because I think it's pretty interesting because it focuses specifically on like drop cookies and bars and brownies. Mm-hmm. It is called American Cookie. 
the snaps, drops, jumbles, tea cakes, bars, and brownies that we have loved for generations. What I love about that, it is, it is, um, it gets into the past and some of those kind of grandma recipes, which I'm always trying to find. Um, I have, you know, grandma cookies that I make, my own grandmother's recipes. I don't have many of them though. So, and I love just old, you know, old recipes, you know, from the old fanny farmers and Better Homes and Gardens and going way, way back. Um, so it's sort of a, a little bit of a history, you know, walk through history in terms of, um, you know, the recipes of yore. And, um, you know, going back to times when, you know, women didn't have like cookie cutters. They used like they they took a, a, a little, you know, juice jar or glass and mm. they turned it upside down. And that's what they, how they cut out well, my mom did that a cookie. Too. My mom I mean, you that. use what you have, right? Yeah. You use what you have in the kitchen. And so I love that. To me, that is... Um, you know, that is the type of, um, those are the types of recipes we don't want to lose or this, mm. that those um, old techniques, you know, we get so fascinated by technology and all the new fangled ways of making things and making things easier. Um, why not just go back to, um, you know, some of these old fashioned ways of putting things together and don't use a lot of gadgetry. Mm. That's cool. Um, my next one, I'm all about cookbooks that to help you understand how to create your own recipes. Um, it's, it's great to learn to cook through recipes, but to understand the concepts and how to develop recipes always fascinates me. And like, how did these people discover this? The next book kind of does this called the flavor matrix, the art and science of pairing common ingredients to create extraordinary dishes. Um, basically I want to just read this is like kind of a, as an instructor at one of the world's top culinary schools, James Briscione thought he knew how to mix and match ingredients till he met IBM Watson, which is a supercomputer that beat like Kasparov and chess and like yeah. went on Jeopardy. That's awesome. And went on Jeopardy. Um, the IBM Watson turned big data into delicious recipes. And, you, and the website's still there. You can like put ingredients in and it will spit out recipes based off what you put in. Um, so that epiphany inspired him to launch his quest to understand molecular basis of flavor which led to his creation of this book called The Flavor Matrix. Um, so it goes through, I mean, there's recipes in there, but it's really about data and understanding ingredients and how they work together, That which, like, to me, I think that's it's the basis of recipe uh, creating. And that's, like, you know, I always wanted to do that and to learn more about ingredients and learn about, you know, like recipes. I think that's the next step. I'm cooking, I think people need to like look at that of like, oh, I'm just gonna put this in a teaspoon of this, here you go, and not really understand mm -hmm. the why mm -hmm. of why why a teaspoon, why not a tablespoon, why cinnamon, not all spice. Like to understand that kind of stuff, I think that's I mean my curiosity, but I think that will help people be better cooks in the kitchen to understand that, even when they're reading recipes, you mm -hmm. know. Because then you can adjust to make adaptions like, well, I don't think this recipe should use this because I understand this ingredient will work better with this ingredient than the one in this recipe book. And then becomes a different recipe. So the flavor matrix, the art of, <clears throat> excuse me, the flavor matrix, the art and science of pairing common ingredients to create extraordinary dishes. I think that's perfect for anybody who has a curiosity of not just cooking, but the curiosity of creating our own mm -hmm. dishes. I love that. That's, so. Is that a book that you, is it, it's on your bucket list? It's on my bucket list, yes. Okay. All right. What's your next book, Anne? I'm really excited about Israeli Soul, Easy, Essential, Delicious. That's the title. It's by M Michael Solomonoff and Stephen Cook. They own um, a bunch of restaurants in Philadelphia. 
Um, Michael is a 2016 James Beard Award winner, and he also has this great film that he did a few years ago called In Search of Israeli Cuisine. So this is kind of like a like a continuation of that movie in that he's exploring like the melting pot of of cuisines in mm. Israel, which is a huge fascination of mine. Like I, I yeah. I'm really into that kind of uh, the cuisines and all the different ones. So this book, um, I haven't I don't have it in my hands yet, but you know it, it would include anything from an Iraqi Jewish sandwich um, that's made of fried eggplant and hard boiled eggs inside a pita. Uh, he has Ashkenazi food, um, which uh, is tends to be overshadowed, I guess, by Sephardic foods in in um, in Israel. But you know things like pickled mackerel, cured trout. Mm. Um, those are, I guess, some of those things are rather considered somewhat, you know, like um, old fashioned. Very much generationally sure. loved those types of okay. old world type recipes. Um, Persian food, Persian meatballs with beets, Bulgarian lamb, uh, beef beef kebabs, uh, Yemenite uh, flatbread, Yemenite flatbread, Mm -hmm. things, um, desserts. Um, He's he's got some things that sound really different, like Malabi milk pudding and coconut basbusa. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. Uh, It's actually, I can tell you what it is. It's a semolina cake soaked in syrup. It sounds like a sticky sweet. Sounds very cake. sweet and rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, um, it's funny. I guess he's got this thing, this thread about hummus. And uh, I guess, I mean, the the origins of hummus are you, pretty old. You're like, very passionate about hummus. Right? I am pretty passionate about yeah. my hummus, but you are passionate about your what is it? It's a black eyed pea. Yeah. yeah, black eyed pea hummus. But I guess uh, you know hummus has just been part of Israeli cuisine mm-hmm. for a long, long yeah. time. Part of the and, whole region, pretty much. Yeah, and I think I mean there are differences here and there, but mm. I think he makes jokes about how you know you don't really need to mess with something that's kind of perfect mm-hmm. from the beginning, from its origins. So anyway, this just sounds like a really great book if you're intrigued and. Um, and you love those those types of flavors, mm. which I do. You so know? can you explain to me, like your like where did this love of Israeli cooking came from? I think like, it's a I think it's past life. Yeah, it could okay. be past life. I, like I, it, it has always been part of your. Well, was no, it no, recent? It's, it's not recent. No, I've always loved uh, foods of of Mediterranean of the mm. Mediterranean areas, but the Middle East, mm. um, Israel. Iraq. So there's Iran, nothing that like those. triggered that. No, there's nothing in your life just, that said, oh just, my God. That just, type of food really appeals to me. Um, I feel really, I mean, physically, I feel really good when I eat it because you know what it's, mm. what it's like sometimes you eat certain foods and you're like, oh man, I mm. can't eat. It just doesn't agree when with When was the first my, time you really experienced that? Self, my body. But yeah. this I, I love. When did I first experience it? Like, experience, it? taste it. When was it like your first, like, Oh my God, the epiphany of like trying it. Probably when I started traveling a lot in my mm. 20s. You've been to Israel? And no, but when I was in France, I had uh, immigrant food from, you know, by chefs who f- were okay. from Israel. And I had a lot of that food when I was in France because okay. France has a lot of great, yeah. diverse foods. Immigrants, there. a lot of immigrants. Yeah. North Africa, the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And that's where yeah. I started eating foods like this and I was blown away by them. Okay. I was kind of, I was and just, those flavors are just incredible to me, and it's kind of like you and Korean yeah. food. And I mean, I have the like the relationships with my my best friend yeah. growing up in high school. Before there was, I mean, people like most people never heard of Korean barbecue. I was introduced to that in high school in the eighties and early nineties, and my goddaughter's Korean, so that's more my experience came from was kind of a personal personal connection yeah. to it. 
so I was just kind of curious if there was something like an interesting story of like how would you the the story is that I started I had the opportunity to to eat some of these foods okay. and I loved them cool well then the next book um, was going all across the world to the Philippines it's a book called I am a Filipino and this is how we cook it's written by uh, Nicole Paseca, a former advertising executive in New York who opened uh, two restaurants, Maharika and Jeepney, which have been featured on several uh, videos on YouTube from Eater and Vice. Um, looks really cool stuff. As you know, Filipino food is kind of has this, I wouldn't say resurgence, but this, I hate the word trend either, but it's like becoming part of the American vena uh, culinary vernacular now as far as cuisines. Um, and before that, like this, I think it was the second most um, Asian population in the country was Philippines, but they never really had a repre uh, representation in cuisine, you know, like Asians, Chinese, Japanese, Korean. But as far as Philippines, especially in the commercial restaurant world, it's, it was very, you rarely see a Filipino restaurant. And, and now in the last few years, it seems starting that to change. Like again, one of the best restaurants in the country is a Filipino restaurant in DC called Bad Saint. But this book kind of looks at the kind of the history of Filipino cuisine and also digs, digs deeper into kind of that most the understanding of the flavors and the ingredients and shows that, you know, most people think of when you say Mexican or French or they just think of one type of cuisine. But Philippines, just like all uh, those countries, the regional cuisines, mm -hmm. different types. So like in North Philippines, you, you get a dish that's not you get in south of the Philippines. So this book looks at those kind of regions as well. And. What's really cool about the Filipino cuisine is, is the uh, the flavors and the, and the kind of types of flavors you get. Like there's some really funky flavors, like the fish sauce, very acidic, sweet, very strong, strong flavors in the cuisines. Uh, she breaks up the book in really kind of interesting chapters. Uh, one chapter is called Spice and Burnt Coconut, the Food of the Muslim South. There's Muslim um, groups in the Philippines. So it's a very diverse uh, it's a melting pot of a country. You know, most people don't even think of Philippines as kind of this melting pot, yeah. but it is a melting pot of Asia. Uh, it's really an interesting country. Another chapter is called Tomatoes and Tamales, kind of the Spanish-Mexican influence. There's one called Fat, Fatty, Fried, and Salty, the one I probably will gravitate to the most. Snacks and street food of Philippines. Sweets, of course. Can't miss out on sweets. And Americana, which I guess is the American influence because, you know, uh, Philippines and America have a close ties because of mm -hmm. past military exercises and wars and stuff like that. But it's a really beautiful book. It's not just cooking, but it's a history. It's an understanding of that cuisine. Um, and I'm glad that it's getting its its kind of shine, its spotlight now. Well, you and I share an appreciation for cookbooks that are not just recipes. Straight recipes. They're, yeah. yeah, they're all about the culture, the history where these things came from and why mm -hmm. they answer a lot of questions. And I think you, you mean, just like, I, you know, this book that I just talked about Israeli cuisine, which has so many mm -hmm. variations and so many influences like the yeah. Philippines people here. We don't know that no. if we're not exposed to it, we don't know it. And it's the best way to and, understand people and understand culture. Mm -hmm. And like, Absolutely. you know, we're in a, we're in a, Hypersensitive culture and very like people stereotypes and I think food is a way to break through cultures, yes. you know, and, and there's a lot of similarities in 
what they might do should be similar, but how they celebrate and how they eat and how and how they get together around yeah. food is very similar across mm-hmm. the board. But to understand a culture and a people to its food is the best way to understand that the people there. So I'm with you 100. percent So that's yeah. that was my book. I am a Filipino, and this is how we cook. Is the name of that cookbook? What's your what's your next one? I have been a big fan of uh, the pastry chef. Stella Parks for years. She's a columnist for Serious Eats, a website that I love for a lot of other reasons. Uh, And she came out with her cookbook, Brave Tart, uh, probably, well, a few months ago. And um, it is really, it's for people that geek out about baking because it, she's very much into the science of baking Mm -hmm. and she's a geek. She's a, she's a a self-proclaimed geek. I mean, baking is nothing but science. Yeah. I mean, like cooking is an art. Right. But baking, I mean, there's an art to it, but you will fail if you just rely on the art. Yeah. You know. And what I love about her, this book, and it's so it's so fun to read the recipes, partly because they revisit a lot of, res- a lot of dishes, no, not dishes, a lot of um, foods, because they're not exactly, there's a mix of desserts and baked goods and like snack foods is mm-hmm. what I almost want to call them because growing up, I definitely ate Hostess pro- Hostess <laughs> cupcakes and Ding Dongs and Little Debbie products mm. and not thinking that at any point in, in the future I'd ever want to recreate this myself. Yeah. But she does that, but she makes them you know a million times better because she's using real ingredients. Mm-hmm. And not things you can't pronounce. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... But she really, she just jumps into these things and it, she's so serious about it so that they look, they really look like they're originals. You know, the, the Oreo cookies look like Oreo cookies and, um, but taste it, nothing like an well, Oreo taste a million times yeah. better than that. So, and the other thing about her, and I've know this from following her blog for a long time is her recipes are really reliable too. So when you make them, you 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 know how much went into mm. recipe testing. So you're not like, oh my god, I just made this thing and it doesn't look or taste like, like like it's supposed yeah. to. Like it looks mm. in the book, and that's a you know that can be a huge turnoff when you've got a cookbook yeah. and you're like, oh forget, I'm not gonna try something again now since oh. I messed that one up. Time to order pizza. Right. Um, I don't know that I ever really want to try making Twinkies. I think that's one I'm going to pass on. Oh, you got to. Uh, really? Yeah, and they can make the filling like a Malort flavor filling. Uh-huh. <laughs> one one of the things I do want to make, and a friend of mine has the same book, and she made them, and she said they turned out great. Do you know those oatmeal cream pies? Yes. My mom uh, used to get that for Those are the lunch. little, little they're Little Debbie's. Yeah. I mean- the you know the, the brand the, the yeah. little Debbie brand she does a version of them. Okay. I, and, I can't eat those anymore because my mom I used to have that for lunch every day during school, and I went went to college. Mom bought some again. But they weren't the co- same. I just like, ugh, I just overdid it, you know. But I bet this recipe probably changed my mind. That well, I don't know. The the thing is, some of these things you revisit them and they don't hold up to your memories <laughs> of them. But if you want to do like the ultimate <clears throat> lemon meringue pie or rice crispy treats, mm-hmm. I, I this is the book to go to, and y- you know, or Girl Scout cookies. She's got a, a recipe for like really? thin mints. Oh, and she's just she's got it's just a really it's a great book of Americana, okay. and it uh, talks about the history as well. Oh. So it's a great read. 
Cool. Sounds good. And maybe you'll make some... Uh, For you? Yeah. I don't know about that. I think I deserve it. I know you're such a tough customer, though. They'd have to look really perfect. <laughs> as far as baking, no. I am. I don't judge baking because I'm not a good baker, so I am not a critique of bakers. Can't be. Oh, good to know. Then I, then I won't put much time into them. <laughs> ah, just kidding. Uh, my final book is... Um, it's kind of a, it's from a restaurant that's on my bucket list of visits. It's a restaurant out of Montreal called Joe Beef. Uh, it's from these two chefs, these chefs that are over the top characters by the name of Frederic Moran and David McMillan. I first got to know about these two chefs and Joe Beef through Anthony Bourdain and his show. He's been, he visited Montreal a couple times and every time he goes visit these two guys. And they're over the top. I mean, especially French cuisine, but it's like French cuisine on steroids, what they do. Um, do you know their training? I don't know. I never never talked about their training. I, If they were trained, they probably got kicked out. <laughs> they're such a character. They're, got, they're two guys you would love to have just drink with and get drunk with. Yeah. You know, they just look like really cool guys to hang are out they, with. Are they gluttons? They're, they they cook with abandon, that's for sure. <laughs> they live They live life like there's... Like there's no tomorrow. There's no tomorrow. The earth is ending. And speaking of that, the name of the book is called Joe Beef Surviving the Apocalypse, another cookbook of sorts. Um, So this cookbook is over the top kind of recipes and ingredients and stuff. I mean, they got a recipe for making soap. Um, And some of the dishes they're known for, uh, this is one, a compound butter with barbecue flavored potato chips. Fried brains with over cream peas. Um, they have a dish uh, called it's um, it's a, it's a it's basically uh, I guess it's a kidney veal kidney that's wrapped in call fat and then covered in salt crust, and so that you can make the finished dish look like a young calf at rest on its flank ruminating. That's the quote. <laughs> So they're intense. They're, that's just, it's, just a, it's a fun cookbook. It's visually appealing. Uh, it's not vegan-friendly whatsoever. So if you, like, I would not get that for, I don't think there's, they might have some vegetarian dishes in there, but I'm pretty sure it has some kind of animal product in it. Do you think they thumb their noses at, like, a, like oat so, cuisine yeah. or this highfalutin they're, they're, they're the guys that basically say it's, they want cooking to be fun. They don't take themselves seriously. Too, too seriously, okay. Um, and I guess that's why I like them. I think that's why Anthony Bourdain's a big fan of theirs. Um, for example, one of the stories they did, uh, things with Anthony Bourdain, you remember KFC, they had this thing called a double down. So instead of buns for your chicken sandwich, the buns were fried chicken breast. So you, <laughs> and then in the middle, you had the cheese and everything else in there. That was, wasn't a, that kind of hard to eat? It was sort of messy, I suppose. I never bought one. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. So that was KFC. So they decided to do their take on it. And this is how glutton, how crazy and luxurious their cooking is. So instead of chicken breasts, they used f- foie gras and fried it up. So two pieces, large pieces of foie gras. And then they had some aged cheese they made themselves and, and some sauce. That was all inside the, the two pieces the, of foie gras. Foie gras was the buns. <laughs> and they wrapped it in kind of like the aluminum foil, like the double down. And that's, so this is their process of cooking. Um, I just, I'm just fascinated by the characters. They're fun. They love the outdoors. They make a lot of their own stuff. They make maple syrup. They make their own cheeses. 
they love hockey. They're, they're just the guys you would never expect to be sh one of the best chefs in Canada or at least in North America. Um, you know what this reminds me a little bit of? When you've been talking about them, they, it reminds me of the two fat ladies that had that show on the yeah. BBC. You remember them? Yeah, I do. Um, I remember watching the the reruns because I, I think they stopped making them in like 99. It's been mm. a long time and I don't even think those ladies are alive anymore. <laughs> That's too bad. But they, do you remember watching yeah, that show? Yeah, I, I vaguely remember you, those too. And, and they, it was the same sort of thing mm -hmm. with them. I, I don't know that I would have said that they were the, you know, the best chefs in England, mm. but they the best cooks in England, but they certainly did not take themselves mm. seriously. No. And they did really traditional cooking. And, you know, it wasn't just a little pat of butter either. No. I mean, these guys are crazy. Like, there's one episode with Anthony Dane where Anthony Dane, like, you know, he has to go to certain restaurants that he's chef's friends with. They serve him a few dishes. These guys brought out, like, I don't know, probably 200 pounds of food just to Anthony Dane. They kept feeding the guy. So Anthony Bernane ate all this stuff that they well, were feeding? Of course. Feeding? I mean, you know, it's... He eats a lot, not all of it, but like taste of it. But to see the dishes come out, yeah, you're like, who? You, why are you trying to kill the man? You know, I got to see like, this episode. When did this one run? Uh, for at least four or five years ago. Okay. They've been twice in Montreal, and there's one scene where they, you know, you see an ice fishing ice shack, ice fishing shacks. They look like nothing. So Anthony goes visit them in the ice shack. So you see this ice shack. It looks like nothing, right? He's like, dude, it's cold. Anthony is complaining. They open the door. An ice shack. The, 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 there's a tablecloth place setting. There's like they're cooking on the top, and um, they're cooking on like the the stove top and putting far gras right on the uh, cast iron stove, and they have like rare wine in this ice fishing shack. <laughs> I mean, the guys are just crazy. And it's like these guys. I just I, I just want to hang out with them. I want to go to a restaurant and like just drink whiskey with them. And like I even I'll go ice fishing with them. And I hate the concept of ice fishing. That's how much I like. These guys just like bigger than life, and this cookbook is like bigger, bigger than the other cook. Yeah, you need to life. get this book. You better so, get it. You if you're into the, like one. just just having fun cooking and doing some crazy stuff and being inspired, Joe Beef, Surviving the Apocalypse, another cookbook of sorts from Frederick Morin and David McMillan of Joe Beef in Montreal, definitely worth checking out. Again, their restaurant is on my bucket list in Montreal. If you ever go to Montreal or plan to go to Montreal, definitely. Put in reservations, you will not uh, regret it. And um, again, if you are a vegetarian vegan, you probably won't have that much many options to do something there because there's a lot of fat, there's a lot of meat, and probably a lot of those vegetables have one or both inside of them. Mm -hmm. um, so, but they're they're just, I mean, just check out the Anthropodean episodes. You can probably find they might even have YouTube stuff on there, but they're they're fun guys. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, my. Uh, final cookbook of uh, 2018, my selection. So we've got a pretty interesting list this year. Yeah, I mean, cookbooks are getting more creative. I mean, more interesting. A lot of people want to tell stories in cookbooks, not just here's a bunch of recipes, cook yeah. them. I'm a chef. Well, there's a lot of competition. Yeah, out but now there. the photos are mm -hmm. like amazing. But the stories, people have stories in them, and 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 that's kind of the fun part of cookbooks, like understanding the recipes, understanding why, understanding mm -hmm. their process of their creative processing and creating these dishes um so yeah that's i think cookbooks are are, are really come into uh, their kind of their own world now as like literary creations not just yeah recipes they're things you want to read and mm -hmm. want to keep yeah on your shelves or a coffee table yeah and expose other people to so i don't know when that started i wonder who, who chef decided like let's transform what cookbooks can be 
think it's been a slow progression. progression. There must be one chef that really like, let's do something different, you know, but cool. But that is our list of uh, our favorite cookbooks of 2018. If you want to check them all out, you can go to RadioMilwaukee.org slash This Bites. This Bites produced by Tyrone Miller. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from Society Insurance and your membership. Subscribe to this podcast at RadioMilwaukee.org, on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And always, and stay hungry. And keep the Malort cold. Yeah, it's Christmas. Yeah. Maybe a little peppermint snaps with the Malort. Oh, that might actually work. <laughs> Anything that would sort of like cover up that flavor of the Malort yeah. would help me. Well, one of these days... And this uh, is about me because yeah. you wanted to, to, to drown me in Malort. No, I'm not saying that you want to like literally do that. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. But you a little really, dunk tank you in really, Yes, you seem to like think this would be really amusing. It is. To get me drunk on Malort or... It was amusing when you ate that spicy chocolate, so I figured... Oh, it was more amusing (laughs) when you did. (laughs) Yeah. Again, we got to take you to the foundation, try that uh, Malort cocktail. It's tasty. I'm not going to say no because I'm assuming it has other things in it besides There's other things in it. It's actually actually pleasant. Does it have rum in it? No, it's... I forgot what is in there, but it's no rum. Okay. But anyway, take care, Anne. Happy New Year.